Good morning. Recently, I was out working on a property and clearing some vines away from a row of windows. I was informed that poison ivy was in among the vines. I was wearing pants, but unfortunately, I was wearing a short sleeve shirt. But I decided to be cavalier about it, deciding that I could successfully avoid this springtime scourge. A week or so later, I noticed the first signs that I was in trouble. Just one singular spot on my arm. You know, I figured I would just wait it out and it would go away. So I did nothing to change my routine. I decided to hope for the best, but again, did nothing to address it. Finally, when I realized it was spreading, I decided to take action. A rough paper towel, some rubbing alcohol, and then a couple of applications of apple cider vinegar helped to curb the spread of the poison ivy. But isn't this how we typically respond when trouble's on the horizon? We plow ahead and hope for the best. Even when experience has taught us that prevention is much less expensive than treatment, we still take the easy way out and then are disappointed with the consequences. Today, as we continue on with the story of Nehemiah, we will see how the Jews chose a proactive response to the danger they were facing. And in the process, they found themselves partnering with God not only to complete the work, but to, but to preserve their lives as well. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verses 1 through 18 slowly and pull out the lessons here this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said... What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. So they're mocking the Jews. They're saying their efforts are futile. Their work will amount to nothing. And then Nehemiah responds, verse 4, Hear us, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of your builders. It's interesting here that Nehemiah does not echo the words of Jesus. You know, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Nehemiah says, God, repay them. He calls for justice. Now, it's interesting also that Nehemiah does not try to execute justice. He doesn't take up arms and try to fight these guys. He lacks both the authority and the ability to carry it out. But he does appeal to a God who has both authority and ability. Psalm 36.6 says that God's justice flows like the ocean's tides. God's justice is coming. It always does, and it will not be stopped. And so Nehemiah entrusts this to God. Continuing on in verse 6, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So the wall is rebuilt to half its height. This is a great accomplishment. This is a serious win. These people are beginning to win. And they worked with all their hearts in spite of opposition because they had begun to believe that God was on their side. Now, if someone lacks belief or conviction, what happens when they encounter opposition? Jesus talks about it in the parable of the soils. He says it's like a plant with shallow roots. When it encounters hardship or distress, then they shrink away. Verse 7. 
But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So anger becomes a plot. Now what is the root of anger in your life, in my life, when we're frustrated about something, when we're upset? What is it? It's self-focus. What about me? What about me? What about me? When you're in traffic, when you're at the store, what about me? And so what are these guys saying? They're saying, what about us? They have a vested interest in seeing Jerusalem stay weak. The walls stay broken down. They're saying, what about us? Now, Nehemiah is also angry, as we have seen in verse 4 and 5. But Nehemiah, in his anger, is moved to pray. In their anger, his enemies are moved to plot. Now, what is a plot? It's a, basically a plan to benefit at the expense of someone else. So what is the difference here between these guys? It is their faith. Nehemiah's faith in God moves him to be willing to pray rather than to plot. He is going to leave the situation in capable hands. The others resort to plotting to get what they want. Verse 9. But we prayed to our gods. Here they go again. They're praying to God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. So even though they are clearly depending on God through prayer, they are also proactive. They're going to do everything they can to prevent unnecessary vulnerability. If you're, if you're guarding a dam and you notice that there's little cracks and there's water beginning to flow through, how foolish would it be to do nothing to fill the gaps but just to sit back and pray? So they need to both pray and act. Verses 10 through 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. So the pressure is building. The project is on the verge of collapse. They say our strength is giving out. The work is overwhelming. There's the threat of imminent violence. And now you see that paranoia starts to set in. There's danger around every corner. And we're about to be overrun. And so here's Nehemiah's response to that. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So first of all, Nehemiah takes action. He covers the weak points, right? He fills the gaps so the people can resume the work. Because they're, they're kind of checked out now. They're looking over their shoulder. They're fearful. And then he challenges them, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord and fight. And then look at the result of this, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to his own work. So their zeal and their vigilance was a deterrent. Now what fuels a plot? Number one, it's the element of surprise, huh? We're going to get them. We're going to get them, and they're not going to see it coming. Secondly, it's obvious vulnerabilities. 
Boy, look at that, that gap there. Look at this weakness there. This will be a piece of cake. But when they saw how proactive and vigilant the Israelites were, the plot fizzled. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. So half were working and half were armed. The porters were armed. The builders were armed. I'm not going to read all these verses, but in chapter 6, they take it up a notch. They accuse Nehemiah of conspiring against the king, and they say, we've got a signed letter here that's going to tell the king what we think you're up to. Now come talk with us, come meet with us, come, come reason with us, Nehemiah. But what they're actually doing is they're again plotting to assassinate him and to take his life. And so Nehemiah summarizes in chapter 6, verse 9, what these guys are up to. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, God, strengthen my hands. So Nehemiah recognizes his weakness and, and he needs help. And rather than trying to fight the enemy, he says, God, strengthen my hands. What is he saying? He's saying, God, help me be focused. Let me be focused on the work that you've given me to do so that I can finish the task. Don't let me get distracted. And then verse 11, a powerful statement. Again, they're trying to lure him out. They're saying, those, they're coming to kill you tonight, Nehemiah. Go hide. Run into the temple. Close the doors and save yourself. And Nehemiah says, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. At this point we see that Nehemiah understands the importance of the role God has called him to play. And he is willing to pay the price in order to stay the course. A man like me, a man who's seen what I've seen, I've been in the presence of the king, I've seen God provide, I've seen God open doors for me to go on location, he's provided me an audience to do this important work. I've seen too much. I believe that God is for us, and I will not be deterred. Now, he's not a special man, but he is a man who's called for a purpose. So considering this story this morning, what do we learn about God? Number one, God is listening. Nehemiah's prayers and choice of action reveal that he believes now with all his heart that God is listening. And he's right. God has heard their pleas. He is concerned for their welfare. Number two, we learn that God will help. God didn't stop with concern for his people. He has taken action. He has moved the pieces into place for them to be protected and for them to return to him. Number three, we learn that God will address guilt. God is not unaware of wrongdoing and he will address it. It would be really discouraging for me personally if I didn't believe that one day God will set things right. When we look at our world today, there are so many bad things that happen. There are bad people doing bad things to innocent people. 
And it's upsetting, but I believe that one day God will set things right. Either in this life or beyond, each one of us will be held accountable and will stand before him. And because I believe that, I don't have to strive. I can be like Nehemiah. I can focus on helping. I can focus on making a difference because I, and I will entrust justice into the hands of my God who one day will hold all men accountable and he will set all things right. Now in this story we see a dynamic. We work and God works. So what is our work this morning? I'm going to challenge you to do two things and then the third thing is something that God himself will So what is our work? Number one, we pray. We pray. Well, how do you pray? First of all, I'm going to challenge you to decide what it is you want to protect. Decide what are those areas, those those people that are precious to you that you want to protect. Is it your purity? For me, that's important, my purity. Maybe, Maybe you're not married yet. Maybe you've been married. Maybe you're in between. Is that something you want to protect, your purity? What about your marriage, that person that God's given you to love and to cherish? What would you do to protect that relationship? What about your children? Do you want to protect the children that God's entrusted you to care for and to teach and to train? What about your reputation? Is that important to you? Scripture says that a good name is worth more than riches. Is that something you want to protect? What about your health? We've got one life to live, huh? And we want to take care of ourselves. Is that something you want to protect? What about your financial well-being? You know, if you live underwater and living paycheck to paycheck, it's going to be difficult to do the things that God's calling you to do. So what are some areas you want to protect? I want you to write them down. And then secondly, how do you pray? You beg God. You beg God to fill in the gaps between what you can do and what needs to be done. Because truthfully in life, There is a gap when it comes to protecting things, protecting our marriages, our children. There's only so much we can do. And then there's a gap between what we can do and what needs to be done. We need to pray for God to fill that gap. You know, when our children are struggling with something heavy, with something they can't do themselves, they'll say, Daddy, Mommy, I can't do it. I can't do it. And we say to them, that's okay, honey. That's okay. You can't. You're right. But we can. So number one, I'm challenging you to pray. Decide what you want to protect and beg God to fill in the gaps between what you can do and what needs to be done. Number two, I'm challenging you to prevent. Now how do we prevent danger? How do we protect and take steps? Number one, we set standards. We set standards. Setting standards is like putting up a guardrail that will warn you when you're approaching danger. When you run into this guardrail, it will do damage to your car, but if you cross the guardrail and go over the edge, you will very likely do permanent damage to yourself or those you love. So we need to set standards and put up guardrails. Here's some examples for me personally. My purity is important to me. And so what is a guardrail for me? It starts with my eyes. If my eyes are lingering where they shouldn't, 
That's a guardrail for me. I'm going to be concerned about that. And I want to make some changes before I hurt myself or others. Secondly, my mind. You know, if I'm dwelling on thoughts I ought not be, that's a guardrail for me. That, that's a warning sign that something is, is not right and that I'm in danger. What I'm listening to, am I allowing harmful messages in to my mind? That's a guardrail. I want to protect my purity. Secondly, my marriage. I want to protect my relationship with the person that I love the most in this world. So for me, a guardrail is spending time alone with the opposite sex. You know, no coffee, no lunches, no private conversations with someone of the opposite sex. That's a guardrail for me. I want to protect my marriage. What about my children? This is a personal standard. We do not give them unlimited access to the internet. There are a lot of bad things out there. And, and you know what? There are people who want to profit from giving our children things that are harmful for them. So I, we do not give them unlimited access to the internet. And personally, we don't let them spend the night at a friend's house that we don't know. When we don't know who's going to be there, we don't know what their values are. We just don't. That's a guardrail for us. My, for my reputation... You know, I've got a couple guardrails here. I don't post strong negative opinions on Facebook for everyone to see. That's a guardrail for me. I want to protect my reputation. You know, I'm praying that God will do this, that God will protect, but I've got to take steps for my family, my children, my reputation. I'm not clear. I try not to be careless with my language, and I try to keep my promises. That's a guardrail for me. If I'm not doing what I said I would do, I want to know about it because that's important to me. I want to protect my reputation. My health, you know, if I do heavy snacking in between meals, it's usually because I'm emotional about something. But that's a guardrail. If I'm not willing to take a walk with my wife and, and exercise, that's a guardrail. If I'm skipping consecutive workouts, that's a guardrail. What about your financial well-being? For me, a guardrail is if I'm, if I'm impulse spending on things that I don't need, that's a problem. That's something I want to address for me, borrowing money is a guardrail. I am religious about this. I don't want to borrow from my future to pay for the present. That's a guardrail for me. And so I am often find myself asking not the question, why not? Why not buy this? Why not buy that? Why not do this? Why not do that? I want to ask the question, why do it? Why is this a good decision? So if you're going to prevent danger, we need to set standards. And then we need to be engaged. Many times in life, it's like we go on autopilot. When I'm in autopilot, the quality of my decisions declines. And even when I make bad decisions, I will excuse myself because, hey, I was out of it. Or, hey, I was tired. Or, hey, I was stressed. But we cannot afford that. We need to stay engaged. Because there's a lot at stake. Your marriage, your family, your reputation, your health, and your financial well-being. So we pray and we prevent. But ultimately, number three, it is God who protects. When we look back over our experiences, we often see God's hand. I'll tell you a story this morning. Here's a picture of our little girl, Susanna. She was four months old when we moved overseas. We'd been over there for a few months when we began to notice that she was a little bit overly fussy, she was uncomfortable, she wasn't sleeping well, she wasn't eating well, and then we began to notice that she was losing weight. 
And man, we were very concerned. We took her to the doctor a couple different times, and the doctor just said, "Feed her, you know, fatten her up, do you know, give her something more, give her butter, give her eggs, give her cheese." And as we became increasingly concerned, man, we prayed fervently for our little girl. We did everything we could to prevent her condition from getting worse. But it kept getting worse, and she kept losing weight. By God's grace, he allowed us to see a different doctor and get a second opinion. And he said, she is not well. You need to get her home immediately. And we had some friends and teammates at the time. They worked hard to get us plane tickets. Within a couple of days, we were on a return flight home, an emergency flight. And on that flight, not only was the price reasonable, but we had the bulkhead seats. If you know what that is, where you got the leg room, we put the bassinet there in the wall and let our little girl sleep. But we were very concerned that she wasn't going to make it. We got home off the flight, went directly to Children's Healthcare of Atlanta at Eggleston. She spent a week there. That first night, they couldn't even get an IV in her arm. She was so thin. And so she received the treatment, and she got the diagnosis. And you know, it was just a dairy allergy. She couldn't have dairy. And so the things that we were doing weren't helping her. It was making it worse. But we didn't have the ability to get that diagnosed overseas. And as you'll see in these photos, very quickly she bounced back. She had a feeding tube. She, she fattened right up and got happy again, and we were so relieved. And you know, through this entire process, we realized that God had been watching over us all along. And we're so grateful that he chose to spare our daughter. And you know, in this process, we prayed. Oh man, did we pray. And we took every step we could think of to prevent her declining health. But ultimately, it was God that spared her. And it's funny that though there were many important parts in this story, we don't give thanks to the other players, right? We don't say, thank us for being good parents and for noticing that things were not right. We don't say, thank the doctor that he saw what was going on and recommended a course of action. We don't say, thank Korean Air for having nice, comfortable seats and a good price. We don't say, thank Eggleston for doing their part and doing their job, even though we're very grateful to all these folks. And we didn't even say, thanks to the the company that made the foul-smelling baby for me. You know, even though there were many human elements in the story, we say, thank God. Thank God that even though we prayed and even though we took steps, it was God who intervened to spare our daughter. And we give him all the credit. Now, when we pray, when we take steps to prevent and to protect what's precious to us, and then we see God do what only he can do, it inspires us to persevere in the same way that it inspired Nehemiah and the Israelites when they saw God's clear hand protecting them, providing for them. It inspired them to persevere and finish the work. Now, what if we would be willing to pray about the things that we want to protect, to beg God to fill in the gaps between what we can do and what needs to be done? What if we were willing to take steps to prevent permanent harm to ourselves and our loved ones by putting up guardrails to warn us of danger? And then when we see God's protection or look back and see his protection, we would be inspired to persevere in serving and walking with him. So let's do our part. Let's pray. Let's beg for God to fill in the gap between what we can do and what needs to be done. And let's prevent. Let's take steps. Let's set guardrails. Let's be engaged. 
And then let's be inspired as we see God do the things that only He can do. Pray with me. God, thanks for this morning and for this passage of Scripture and how we've been challenged, God. We've been challenged, Lord, to pray, to identify those areas that are precious to us, God, and then to pray for you to fill in the gaps. We need your help, God. And then, God, give us the courage and the discipline to set standards, to to do what we can, to set guardrails, to protect the things that are precious to us. And let us really stay engaged in our lives, Lord, and not just click on autopilot and then not take responsibility for the consequences. And then, God, as we see you come through, as we look back and see your provision, we see your protection, we see your hand, God, let us be inspired to persevere and to keep putting one foot in front of the other, putting our trust and faith in you, and seeking to serve you and partner with you in making a difference in our world. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.